0: Well, fall is here. It's dark when I wake up. The days are starting to get a little bit cooler. Both of my daughters are back in school. The Vikes are playing today. And I even seen a couple leaves starting to fall outside. You know, you could make the case that the real American New Year begins right now which is why at Emmanuel each fall, what we try to do is we try to pick a section of scripture where the application is very straightforward, where we look for something in the scripture, where it is practical, real-life advice that we can apply as we head into these new rhythms um, of, of the fall. Well, this year, what we did is we picked something that experts in almost every discipline agree on. They, whether it's an MD or a PhD or a psychologist or a counselor or a pastor or a theologian or a teacher, almost every expert across all those disciplines agree that when it comes to these, we're not behaving very wisely. In fact, most of those across the board would say the way that we're using devices isn't very helpful or very good. So can we do this? Can we have an honest conversation about these for the next couple weeks? The devices are amazing. They are absolutely amazing. They have the potential to simplify our lives. They have the potential to make us more productive. They have almost unlimited access to content on any topic and They can help us connect in ways that that generations before us couldn't, including what we're doing right now. But here's the thing. for, For most people, these same devices, which have so much potential, are actually working against the things that they long for most. I came across this quote in a series that we did four years ago. If there's one word that sums up how many of us feel about technology and family life, it is help help and it's not just family life that's being affected if you want better relationships period you want to get off the path that most people are on in this book right here a technology and science or social society specialist let me try that again A technology and society specialist from MIT says this, says that technology has become the architect of our intimacies. That's some powerful phrasing. And listen to this, relentless connection actually leads to a new solitude. Okay, so family, relationships, those are right now problematic and impacted by this, but they're not the only areas of concern. In this book... This book, another researcher points out how advertisers right now are spending $200 billion a year to make you less happy about your life as it is. Why do they do that? They do that so that you'll buy the stuff they're selling. If you want more contentment in your life, if you want to be more content with what you have, you want to get off the path that most people are on. She puts it like this. She says to avoid media messages is like holding your breath to avoid air pollution. Isn't that good, Sam? That's so good. All right. So it's not just families. It's not just relationships. It's contentment. And that's not all. If you want to be a healthier person, you want to get off the path that most people are on. This book right here, It has a quote from in fact it was written by the facebook guy's sister this book right here she says this she says people who report using the most platforms meaning social media platforms had more than three times the risk of depression and anxiety than people who use the fewest maintaining a regular presence across many sites led to poorer attention cognition and mood i heard another study that found the happiest people, get this, the happiest people in America are listening to less than 45 minutes or are on social media, less than 45 minutes a day. Screen time, it's affecting sleep, it's affecting attention spans, it's affecting brain function. The amount of time that we spend online has been linked uh, linked to unprecedented levels of anxiety, depression, and loneliness. People are seeing similarities, get this, between how we use devices and how addicts use drugs. Did some of you see that social media um, documentary that came out a while back? Maybe if you did, maybe you remember this quote. There's only two industries that call their customers users, illegal drugs and software. Okay, so let's go back to our list. It's not just families, it's not just relationships, it's not just contentment, it's also mental and physical health. But who values any of those things? If you don't, maybe this one will catch you. If you want to be successful, you want to get off the path that most people are on. The guy that literally wrote the defining literary work on the habits of highly effective people issued this warning and this is pre-internet. He says this, continuing surveys indicate that television is on in most homes some 35 to 45 hours a week. That's as much time as many people put into their jobs, more than most put into school. He says, I'm grateful for television, but there are many programs that simply waste our time and our minds, and many that influence us in negative ways if we let them. Like the body, television is a good servant, but a poor master. Other books pick up on this theme, and including this one right here, where it confirms Covey's observations. And they're warning, in this book, they warned, they said, what's happening right now is that our, the next generation, they're growing up completely, quote, completely unprepared for adulthood. No wonder people are so stressed out. They don't feel prepared for the challenges that they face. Well, countless people, they're coming to the conclusion That careless consumption of modern tech, it is having a serious effect on families and friendships and health and happiness. Devices are shaping our worldviews. They're affecting our brains. They're undermining the next generation's life readiness. And there's more. We could do this all day. The way that most people are using media, it's resulting in a more divided and polarized and radical world. They're opening themselves up to mistakes that will follow them the rest of their lives. And as they consume more and more, they're funding companies that are getting really, really powerful. And that has the attention of a whole lot of folks. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. The normal whatever approach to media isn't working. I repeat that again. The normal whatever approach to media isn't working. Again, can we have an honest conversation about this? And let's start with that word, whatever. That's the name of this new series that starts today. We're calling it Whatever. And for most people, their whatever, when it comes to media consumption, is something like this. I'll watch whatever is on, whatever is entertaining, whatever makes me laugh, whatever makes me cry, whatever is buzzworthy, whatever others are watching, whatever confirms what I already believe, whatever helps me decompress, whatever passes time as I have to wait. I will consume these things. That is the path that most people are on. That path of whatever. Where does that path lead? It leads to becoming a case study in books like these. I was reading an article once, and they referred to a movie called Avalon. The movie follows an immigrant family over time, and the longer they live in America, the more disconnected the family becomes. Over time, as they follow this family, this family that was once, this extended family that was once very closely connect- connected, isn't connected anymore. To the point where it gets to be Thanksgiving, and where once the whole extended family was all together, now it's just the nuclear family and they're all sitting with TV trays watching television. Well, by the time the movie gets to the final scene, the main character is all alone in a nursing home. And let this line from the end of the movie sink in. In the end, You spend everything you've ever saved, sell everything you've ever owned just to exist in a place like this. Is that the path that you want to be on? To just exist, to be alone with only a virtual companion? All right, well, this fall, We want to invite you to consider a different path. In this series, what we're going to do is we're going to contrast two different whatevers. The whatevers that we just talked about in a different set. And I recognize, I recognize, I can hear it right now. I can hear through this lens some of you protesting going, hey, it's my choice. Of course it is. Of course it is. Just as it's your choice to have a diet that consists of this and only this, of Dr. Pepper and Ding Dongs. And then this, we used to call it rubbing alcohol. Interesting little fun fact here, um, I used to work in a tough part of Minneapolis and there was a, um, a corner store right across from, from this gospel mission where I was serving. And at that corner store, they had to stop selling rubbing alcohol. Why? Because Addicts were going and they were drinking this stuff to try to get a buzz. And it's toxic. It's toxic. Most people are on the path that we described. And for most people, their media diet looks a lot like this, where it's a whole lot of empty calories and way too much toxic stuff. In this series, we want to offer an alternative This. A different set of whatevers. If you have a Bible at home, I want to invite you to open with me to a verse that we are going to look at every week of this series, and we're going to be drilling down into it. It's Philippians chapter four, um, verse eight. In fact, we printed this on the top of your notes. If you're watching this on our, from our website, you can go to our website. You can just click. There's a little place for where you can download the notes. And then up there, there's this passage. I want to invite you to memorize this over the course of this series. I'm working on it too. Excuse me. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things things. Think about these things. Again, I want to challenge you to memorize this verse over the course of this series. This is part, what we just read here, this is part of a first century letter written by a follower of Jesus named Paul. It's a real letter that was written to real people in a Roman colony called Philippi. And what we're going to do over the next several weeks, we're going to be zooming in on this passage and we're going to do word studies on some of those words like truth, like justice, like purity, like excellence. What were they talking about in that time, in that place? How does it relate to now? And then what we're going to do, we're going to close out this series by talking about how then do we build these practices into the fabric of our lives. Today, what I want to do, instead of zooming in, I want to zoom out. And I want to give us some context to this passage before we start diving into it. Paul is writing, this is interesting, he's writing from a Roman prison. So he's in a Roman prison as he's writing this letter to the Philippians. And the Philippians are citizens of a Roman colony where, get this, he was once imprisoned. Paul is writing from prison to believers in Philippi where he was once imprisoned. And let's take a look at how that unfolded. If you've got your Bibles again, let's open up now to Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 12. All right, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis. From there to Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. All right, so um, what's happening here, as is custom was, is it was a Sabbath and Paul went looking for a place to pray. Uh, in Philippi. It was the right thing for him to do, and God blessed it. Well, Paul, as this was looking for this place to pray, he met an influential woman named Lydia, and the Lord opened up her heart. And everything went like you may think it should go when you're walking according to God's plans. She opens up her heart. It actually says the Lord opened up her heart. Paul shares about Jesus. She receives him into her life, and both Paul and Silas um, are are invited into our home. So, so far, so good. Hashtag blessed, right? Okay, well, not long after, Paul is heading to a place of prayer once again. But now, things don't go the same way. Let's jump ahead to verses 16 through 17. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us crying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. All right, well this time they go to a place of prayer and Paul and Cyrus and Luke, the author, um, encountered this young slave girl. In the original Greek, Luke says that she was possessed by quote, a spirit of Pythoness, of a Pythoness. The spirit gave the girl predictive powers. And here's the thing about these powers. The Greek word translated here in Scripture as fortune-telling is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for behaviors that God forbids, that God forbids because they're dangerous, because they open you up to real spirits. Some of the stuff that we consume, it's just empty calories. It's Dr. Pepper, it's Ding Dongs some of the stuff we consume like stuff dealing with witchcraft the occult now you're starting to talk about toxic and and I want to say this especially to some of our young people um, I know it right now there's all kinds of stuff out there online where where but I'm but it's good witchcraft it's good spells or whatever you can switch the labels on something that's toxic and it's still toxic just for what it's worth All right, and that's why next week is so important when we talk about truth. But let's get back to this week. All right, verse 18. Verse 18 says this. Okay, she kept going, uh, kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, he turned to her and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Ancient exorcists, this is interesting. They would often attempt to cast out a less powerful spirit by invoking the name of a more powerful spirit. I guess it was like an occultic version of Pokemon or something. But what Paul does is he calls on the only name that he ever used. He had one go-to in situations like this and it was the name of Jesus. And he calls upon the name of Jesus and the spirit is cast out of this girl. But instead of being amazed, instead of her masters going, whoa, what just happened here? The masters go crazy. Let's pick up again verses 19 to 21. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful to, for us as Romans to accept or practice. All right, so let's let's talk here. Here's one of countless examples of why people really believe that Luke was an as, astonishing um accurate historian because of situations like this where where Paul uses the word that we translate as magistrates it is the exact word that you would use for the people who had this role in Roman colonies um, they, they were responsible for maintaining civic civil order they had attendants this is this will come into play here in a second they would carry around wooden rods so imagine there's these magistrates they're walking around all puffed up and then they have these these people that accompany them that have these these wooden rods. And that was basically to say, hey, we are in charge here. If you mess up, we can inflict punishment upon you. And that's exactly what happens when, when, when here, let's take a look at uh, verses 22 through 24. Um, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. All right. Uh, uh, having, oh, he put them into the inner prison. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay. Let me put the scripture down and let me do the best I can to to, to try to say, can we get in Paul's place? Because in America, that is so hard. We as Christians in the United States are so disconnected to the experience of so many Christians throughout history. The example that came to my mind is we say, okay, try to imagine what it was like for Paul. Imagine right now, if you felt that God was calling you to go and be an evangelist, to plant churches in Afghanistan. Only imagine that the Afghanistan government was backed by, by China and Russia and the United States. Imagine that, that's Paul. Well, here Paul is, he's trying to do the right thing. Where does he end up? He ends up beaten and in prison. If anyone ever had a claim to a right to be confused and angry and bitter towards God, it was Paul. But Paul, he's not surprised by any of this. Because Paul had been listening to a very different playlist than most Christians in America today. On Paul's playlist, his Lord and Savior had been beaten and imprisoned and even crucified. On Paul's playlist, his Lord and Savior said, They hated me. They're going to hate you. But what else was on is Paul's playlist. An empty tomb was on Paul's playlist and a promise that Christ will never leave us or forsake us. All right, let's see how Paul reacts to all this injustice that is sent against him. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. If we were in a small group right now, I'd have a question for you. And here's the question, when you're going through trials, what are people hearing from you? At this year's Global Leadership Summit, one of the faculty asked, what if COVID was just the lesson? What if the test is yet to come? invite you to write this down. Do you have a playlist that is preparing you for life's challenges? The account doesn't end there. As we close out this account, it goes like this. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And the jailer woke and he he saw the prison doors were open. He drew his sword, he was about to harm himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? When I do a deeper dive, I almost always learn something that I didn't know before. Here's my nugget for this week. When all this happened, when all this happened, what did the jailer say to Paul and Silas? He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? When many of us hear that word through a 21st century lens, a lot of us hear the word saved and we have a meaning that we associate with a Billy Graham crusade or an altar call or a diagram with a chasm crossed by a by a bridge by a cross or a prayer that you say with every eye closed and every head bowed. In the original context, get this, you could make a case that a better translation in English is this, sirs, what must I do to get out of this mess. What must I do to get out of this mess? And that right there is the essence of this series, is your life's playlist, helping you to become the kind of healthy and whole and joy-filled person that others look to for hope that others look to for wisdom, that others look to for guidance, that others look to for help? When people look at you, do they see that you have something that is working for you? Does it get people wondering, how can I have more of what you have? In Paul and Silas, the jailer saw composure in crisis. The jailer experienced compassion instead of aggression, Verses 31 through 33. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your household. And they spoke of the word of the Lord um, to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. The jailer washed their wounds and he was baptized at once. He and his family. You know what? I'll confess. I almost missed the imagery here. Think about this. The jailer washes Paul and Silas' wounds. And then what? He's washed himself, isn't he? Through the waters of baptism. The waters that invite us into a new life that was purchased by the blood of our Savior. Let me show you something else I almost missed. Acts 16, 34. Then the jailer brought them up to his house and set food before them. And the jailer, it says, rejoiced. The jailer, the jailer rejoiced. That Greek word translated here as rejoiced is a word that wasn't used by secular Greek writers. That's significant. This is a word that we find in the New Testament. And when we find it in the New Testament, it is a joy that evidently the Greek writers didn't have. It was a joy that was connected to a deep spiritual fulfillment, a deep spiritual joy. Someone who Paul could have easily dismissed as an enemy had his entire eternal destiny altered for him and his family. He was filled with a kind of joy that was found in this new life. And it was because Paul was able to see possibilities that others didn't see. And Emma, if you're watching in Chicago, we can call them possibilities. how about that? What if we, what if we had more of what Paul had? The good news is we can. Look at what comes immediately after Philippians 4, 8. We're almost done. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Could any of you use more of God's presence and God's peace in your life? Well, in the weeks ahead, we're going to walk through these Philippians 4, 8 filters in more depth, but that's not all. We're also going to introduce you to three more practices. Here they are that lead to peace. This fall, let's pursue practices that lead to deep and lasting peace. We have something that I'm gonna call the first and final four. There's the flipping filters, there's stop cues, and then there's something we're gonna call shock the pool. Shock the pool. I can personally testify to all four of these. When it comes to the playlist of your life, there are two very different sets of whatevers that you can choose from. There's a path that most people are on And there's a path that Jesus of Nazareth told us about. A path that's accessed through a narrow gate. I got one last thing that I want to invite you to write down. Here it is. That narrow gate, it's a better way. Some of you, you already know this. And this series is going to be more about, okay, I know this, but now I want to put it into practice. But for some of you, you may feel a lot more like the jailer than you do Paul. And you might be having that sense of, What do I need to do to get out of this mess that I'm in? This isn't the life I want to be living. This isn't the path I want to be on. We're so glad you're with us. And we invite you to do what we did, I think, in a series ago or two series ago. Reach out with both hands during the series. Reach out to the God who wants to, to change you from within and transform your heart and mind. And reach out to your brothers and sisters right here for help. That's our invitation for you this series. I'm really looking forward to the weeks ahead.